0: assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh today in the podcast we have a special guest all the way from canada and i'm actually going to let her introduce herself because there is a lot to say and i feel i would not do it justice so i'm going to hand you right over <coughs> to our guest
1: thank you and thanks for having me i'm uh, excited to be here uh, my name is stephanie antunes and i am a birth doula a postpartum doula i'm a birth doula trainer with Donna international and my life is all things doula in babies and families. So I run a couple of agencies, a hospital doula program, and I am a very, very busy trainer. I train people from all over the world, which has been a little side benefit of the
0: pandemic. That is awesome. I'm really interested actually in your, um, your work with um, healthcare professionals. That's something that is, is, is hot over here in the UK at the moment, if you follow the news. Um, we're very much interested to see the way the birth is going in the birth world and the relationships that we can actually have moving forward with healthcare professionals.
1: Yeah. And I remember when I was newer, so I've been doing this work for 20 years, which I always say, you know, I became a doula before doula was cool. Right. It was, uh, it was a very unknown at the time. I remember when I first started, first of all, I did births for a year and a half before I went I think I'm doing this thing they call doula right and that was a common common sentiment of people back then was doing this work and then realizing hey I think there's this training I can do, and did my training after about a year and a half of actually attending births, and. And I remember, you know, as the years went on in the first five years, I worked full time in my corporate career while I attended births, you know, a few times a year. And all, you know, as time went on, I found myself wanting to do this work more and more and more. And I remember wishing that we could be considered part of the team in the hospital. You know, what would that look like for families, but also for doulas? And so I remember, wanting this idea of a hospital doula program of being part of it and I knew there was something similar out on the west side of Canada I'm in the Toronto area and this one time I was a friend of mine who was a lactation consultant at a hospital invited me to come watch a presentation she was doing and I showed up there and after she said hey do you want to have lunch we went to the cafeteria sat down for lunch and all of her team came and sat beside us beside us. So this was the head of maternal newborn nursing and the nurse managers and um, basically all of the decision makers. And so, you know, I just let the experience unfold and just having just gentle conversation and chit chat. And over time i remember thinking this was opportunity knocking and i needed to open the door you know that the door opens and you need to walk through the door right and so i remember saying sort of like nudge nudge you know with my elbow hey have you ever thought of what it would look like to have a doula program here and she said well what would that look like and i didn't really know and so but my mouth opened and out came a bunch of ideas Um, And I don't even know what I said to this day. (laughs) But I remember her making and, you know, ending my conversation and her making a couple of jokes of funny doula situations that had happened at the hospital. And I thought, okay, well, you know what, I planted the seed. That was that. And a few months later, I got an email from her saying, yeah, come and present us your idea. And then the email was CC'd all of the decision makers at the hospital. And I thought, wow, this is an amazing opportunity. And so I scrambled, I looked all over the world, what would it look like for a doulas to be part of the team and made a presentation? And again, a few months after that, you know, was uh, okay, let's do this thing. You know? And it's been just 12 years ago that we started our hospital doula program. And it's been unbelievable to be part of the team and, you know, just to have people recognize the value of doulas. It's really yeah, that is great.
0: awesome yeah yeah that's amazing it's so it's actually invaluable because that's when you get things going that's when you've got the teamwork that's when things are going to become effective and that cooperation is just so important um we actually have something similar in my area recently the local doula community have just decided that they'd like to start working with the ward the labor ward at the local hospital for this very reason i think i think it's because they're actually overwhelmed so with the staff shortage is to take some of the like weight off their shoulders but it's also to make this relationship this kind of us and them disappear this you know a lot of midwives don't know what doulas do and because they don't know what they do or what they are they're kind of you know it can create a little bit of hostility without wanting to be Um, and it's a shame because I mean obviously they can work really well together we're not trained professionals we're not medical professionals in that sense but we are, we are going to be, able, you know, there are stats, there's research to prove that having a doula present just basically improves the whole situation. Um, but even just the support in the continuity of care. So, over here in the UK, there's a big issue with continuity of care um, and having a doula. And not everyone is privileged enough to, to you know, to have a doula. I don't doula volunteer as well in two different places for that reason, just because they're so crucial, they can have such an amazing impact on the lives um of you know the parents the babies everybody and even the midwives because a lot of the midwives that we have found recently in our kind of you know as doulas and as birth you know i had I just had a baby recently nine months ago um they are suffering uh from post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. so they've all this that they're absorbing COVID pandemic didn't help but what they witness in these emergency situations emergency cesareans or you know assisted deliveries the physiological birth um, has become something that is almost scared, you know, they're scared to see it, they're scared to witness it, scared to support it. Yeah. Um, and they're moving slightly more towards the medicalization because it's it's, yeah. it's controlled. And they are suffering from, you know, PTSD basically. Um, and they need help, but there's a lack of help. There's a lack of funding and it creates animosity, which is, you know, I, I, and I wanted to ask, so with your um, work that you do, is that just with your local area, or your local hospital, or is it like right across? you know the state you know, in other areas as well does it does it spread
1: uh, so my agencies and our hospital programs that we run are local to the greater Toronto area mm-hmm. uh, but that's been one of my I know I've, I've talked a lot about this program and I've published articles about this program and how it got started and how we run it in a way that's self-funding because I want number one I want doulas to be affordable for more families And we know that doula support is most statistically impactful on families that have the least resources, right? So being able to support under-resourced families is really, really important, Um, but also being able to have a sustainable business is really important because, you know, the first many, many years of my career, I made little to nothing. You know, I I used to call it my self-funding hobby. I would make enough to pay for my, my expenses as a business owner, but I really wanted to do this work for my career. I felt like this was my dharma. This was my calling and I needed, but I needed to make an income. And so, you know, I'm definitely one of the early doulas that was pounding the pavement saying, no, this can be a career, but we've got to change some of the ways we look at it. And, you know, for example, people say to me all the time, well, I want to work with families who can't afford doulas. And I say, that's amazing. And it's really, really important, but it doesn't mean you have to work for free. You know, I think, and because here's what happens when doulas take that model, they tend to not work for very, very long. They don't work for very, very many years because we can't draw from an empty well. At some point, there's the output of energy, but what's coming back, right? What, what's, what's the, the, you know, everything is an exchange of energy. So how does the energy exchange when we're the ones giving, 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 giving? And what happens is really wonderful doulas who are so good at their, at, at their jobs attend a few births, maybe a couple of years, and then they say, no, I can't do this anymore. This isn't worth it. And they stop. And think of how many more people could benefit from that support. If that doula was getting paid to do their work, they would probably feel like they could continue. There would be a better exchange of energy. It would be more worth all the sacrifice that we make to be on call, to drop what we're doing, to leave our children at home, if there was a better exchange of energy. And I say, you know, instead of working for five or 10 families for free, what if you took that number of hours and we, you know, we spend on average, you know, 20, 30 hours with a family, you know, between our prenatal visits and our emails and our births. Um, what if you spent that number of hours trying to find a local charity in your community that you could write grants together, grant requests together to get funding for you to support more families? Mm-hmm. And maybe not just you, but maybe five doulas or 10 doulas. You know, how could we use that time to make sure that, we are achieve, we are achieving that goal we have of supporting under resourced families, but in a different way that allows us to continue instead of a short-term thing. Because yeah. that's what I notice tends to be a short-term thing.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got a frog in my um, <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Froggy <laughs> <laughs> <Lucky> day today. A <laughs> sustainability. Is the sustainability, it's the sustainability yes. basically? Yeah. Um, And so
1: our program, our hospital program, it does uh, offer it's a two tiered program. Um, We use it as a training ground for new doulas where new doulas can come into the program. We give them additional training. So they've done their basic doula training, but we give them some more training that, you know, as a trainer, I could spend an entire year training people. So obviously when I spend 25 or 30 hours with people, it's clearly not enough. It's just the foundations. So we spend more time with them training. They don't pay anything for that. Um, and we give them up to for five births, they'll do up to five births to get experience when they're brand new if they feel like they lack a little bit of confidence and they want that hands on support with a mentor. And so families pay a reduced rate to have an apprentice doula. You know and people who want a certified experienced doula they can have that too through the program but it allows us to to offer our services to more under-resourced families people with lower incomes uh, and it allows us to train new doulas so that's been a really really interesting shift in our hospital program that's allowed us to um, do some of that work in a way that kept funding the program right so we can pay our mentors we can pay to have our website running Um, but we can also offer it uh, at no cost and so you know for me I tried getting funding for a lot of a lot of times and I'd get funding for a short period of time and you know as you know that could be your full-time job is getting funding so I encourage dualists to partner with someone who already has that as a full-time job so it doesn't become your full-time job to get funding but when we partner with the right people it can allow us to continue to do this this work.
0: Yeah, that is so interesting. And and do you? I mean, I know you just said that with the pandemic, this has been really, really good for you um, because you're online. But do you also work with people overseas, so internationally? For example, people in the UK, people in the USA, in Europe, or is it just you just based in Toronto and Canada at the moment?
1: Yeah. So our our programs and our client facing work we do locally. But my trainings, I've this has been my, well, my favorite thing about doula work in general is being able to work with a lot of different families that I feel like my narrow view of the world, you know, being raised as a, you know, I mean, I'm a second generation immigrant, but as a white middle class person in Canada, um, I obviously have a pretty narrow view of the world. And being able to work with thousands of families and doulas, um, you know, in the last 20 years, I've been able to really privilege to get to learn about other people's religions and cultures and customs. And that is by far my very favorite thing about this work is getting to learn about the real parts of humanity. You know, what makes people really human? And I say this all the time, but I think being a doula makes you a better human. If you really allow it, allow yourself to reach that place of true compassion, you know, really learning true compassion for other humans, really allowing yourself to offer non-judgmental support. There is some deep personal work that comes to get to that place. And some of it is the work we do, and some of it is maturity and the years of, lot of our lives that we've had, um, which, of course, is a different pace for everyone. But the, my very favorite thing about this work is being able to have met so many people and to have expanded my, my ideas and my views. And so the pandemic has allowed me to train people. I've probably trained people in 15 different countries in the last two years. Wow. And oh, my gosh, it's just, you know, it makes me so much more excited.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really rewarding as well, isn't it? The, the kind of being able to have that platform and share such neutral ground um, with no, no kind of preconceptions, because actually, you know, we, birth is where it starts. It starts at birth. So there's just so much so much in common. And also, there's so much to learn when as a Muslim, you know, someone from I actually reverted to Islam. So I wasn't Muslim from birth. But I have that double entendre in a way, you know, I've got, the, I've got the two sides of knowing the life that I had as a non-Muslim, um, born and raised in the UK, but well-traveled. I lived in Canada, actually in Toronto when I was young. Um, and then somebody who has, you know, come to Islam and walked this walk of faith. And it's it's really beautiful, but that's just, that's, as you say, that's just my little dynamic, but it's so lovely when you've got a doula community, you can offer that dynamic to all you know there's going to be someone for everyone there's a doula for everyone so it, it's lovely it's really lovely how long have you been running your courses how long have you had your
1: yeah so I've been a trainer since 2010 okay so oh. quite a while already yeah. I've been able to train over 1200 doulas so, 12 years, you know. yeah. Yeah. and it's interesting you know I've thought a lot about um my first birth and the, the sort of the discrepancy between my first birth and my second birth is what got me into this field. My first being less than ideal and my second birth where I really decided to learn more and be an informed decision maker in my care. And, but that experience and that, that, that shift of that experience is what got me into this work. But I often think back and I think about this and I encourage all doulas to remember what I'm going to say right now. As doulas, sometimes we feel bad when people don't get the experience that they're hoping for. We feel like we're supposed to be some miracle worker and that by choosing us, they're now going to have this perfect ideal birth. But I think in a lot of ways, maybe we get the birth that we need that will allow us to gain the skills, the knowledge, the whatever, to be able to move forward. Right. And so I think back to my first birth, and I think if I could make, you know, wave a magic wand, would I go back and change that birth and make it this like perfect, beautiful, you know, easy everything I wanted to birth? And the answer is, of course not because I've, my agencies have supported 4,000 families and I've trained 1,200 doulas. How many lives has, has my existence in this birth work space, impacted because I had a crummy first birth you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and not everyone's going to come to birth work but you know I think about a couple clients I had a couple years ago both had planned really really beautiful epic home births and they had done all the things all the courses and all the learning and all the preparation and all the everything and both had very very long challenging births and you know but at the end you know what both of them said was oh yeah that was a mother making experience neither of them felt bad for their birth, going a different path. They recognized immediately the lesson in the challenging birth, which for them, they both felt was like, you are not in control. You as a parent can do everything quote unquote, right. Mm -hmm. And you know, and then your kids can take a different path. Right. And that's just life we can do everything right. And so I think this notion where we have to help people have the perfect birth and like, no, I wanna help people have an empowered birth. That is my goal. Mm-hmm. I tell people, I come with, I come to this space with one agenda. You come away from this experience and you say that was the most incredible experience of my life. Not it went exactly how I hoped. Right. What, what's the growth in that, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's also this feeling that people do feel especially now we feel it very much, des- this desperation, this sense of desperation to have this control and have it optimum. And a lot of people without the birth education don't really know what they need. I mean, people come out of birth saying, thank goodness I didn't have a C, at least I didn't have a C-section, but it was extraordinarily traumatic and they didn't have a doula. So what would they know? The difference is that when they when they then think the conscious decision, they make that conscious decision to have a doula, birth worker, I am whatever, independent midwife, whatever they choose, They choose to birth away from a hospital settings, if that's their choice, and they have a home birth. And again, it could be, you know, they go through it and in their mind, they're thinking, because I've got a doula, it's going to be perfect because I've got a doula. And again, then they will come out of it and they can say, do you know what? I had totally, it was totally different to my plan, just like you said, totally different, but it was the best it could have been. And that's the nicest yeah. thing when they say that. It's it's almost like yeah. such a relief because then you know you did your job. You did your job. Because they had that um, flexibility, that that understanding that it can take a turn that you don't expect. And it's not a failure. It's not your failure and not ours or theirs. It's just literally, um, as we say in Arabic, Qadr Allah. Allah means just destiny of Allah. It's destiny. Um, and so it's beautiful that we can share this kind of same yeah but it takes it's work that's work that's the work of the doula yes
1: and I think that's the work that doulas need to do you know they, they want to come to training and they want the certificate and they want to learn about the role and they want to learn all these hands-on skills and really the skills that's most important that are most important are being able to communicate being able to really dig into people's fears and worries and and like you know I always say like Ask the question and then what? You know, what are you afraid of? Well, I'm afraid of having a cesarean. Okay, and what would that mean to you? You know, oh well, I w- I would feel like you know, I, I mean, I don't know, I would have a harder recovery. Yes, possibly. And what would you do? You know, and then what? And what would you do? And then what? And what would you do? And what people often realize through some discussion and just digging deep and not being afraid to help people dig to the difficult and the uncomfortable spaces of life, right? But when we dig into that, what happens is people realize. Oh, I had an answer for every challenge.
0: Yeah.
1: It's not what I want, but I would be able to navigate it if it happened. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's sort of like I say, you know, when you're young and you're afraid of I don't know if this ever happened to you. And it's a common, you know, childhood thing to be afraid of the closet. If the closet door is open and you're like, your kid's like, close the, close the the door. There's a monster in there. you're like, no, no, no. You open the door. Look, there's nothing, there's no monster in the closet, you know? And I feel like it's like that. It's opening the door on the boogeyman, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Facing your fears, getting them, you know, literally grabbing them and running with them and, and making, yeah, that's such a true thing that making out that if you haven't got what happens if let's do the, what ifs, Mm-hmm. and actually break it down is, is it is fear and there's a lot of fear mongering as well that goes on this is the thing and this is the problem with that we're facing with the with HCPs. you know with the maternity system in the uk there is a lot of fear mongering so although we would love to have relationships with them we'd love to be able to work with them there is um there is just this this constant kind of you know the the the, the kind of phrases that come out that really just instill fear, particularly in first-time mothers, people who are not born in the UK but are, you know have moved their immigrants moved into the UK, don't have English as their first language or have very, um, you know, uh, not weak poor but poor uh, little command of the language. Basically, they don't have confidence in yeah. the language. This is a huge issue, and they've taken trans you know trans translators out. Um, translators often lack the emotion that someone has, so if someone says no, it would be no, not no with but she's a bit un you know. It, they don't give you the emotion of the person as well. So um, this is why, for example, you know, you know, we've got lots of grassroots organizations. We haven't got lots. We've got one very good grassroots organization called Doulas Without Borders, um, which is very much along the lines of this. And it has another organization within it called Mother Tongue. Um, and that's run by Kate Woods, who is a, a very well-established doula within the UK as well. I mean, there is a fantastic team of well-established doulas in the UK um mother doulas as it were and I guess you're you know you're pretty much like a mother doula in in Canada you know it's 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 it is so new it is such a new it's a very old and new thing you know it's traditional it's been established for you know ever since the start of people having babies but um and you're right recently there has become this There's definitely been like a rush to it. I described it in one of my previous podcasts, the gold rush to the (laughs) the doula industry. Um, And it's so odd because um, it's literally only happened in the last year, I would say in the UK, I've spotted it. Um, So I gave birth in 2021 in July. And then very soon after I started my training. And then literally I could just, I came onto the Instagram scene and I could see since then, there's just been um, an augmentation in people starting up as doulas. Um, and it is not regulated in the UK, it's not regulated, I guess it's the same in Canada.
1: Right.
0: So in there are places- I've heard it's only
1: regulated in two places around the world.
0: There you go, you see, I was just gonna say around the world, it's very rare to find it it's regulated. Yeah. And there are some places where it's actually banned, like in the Middle East, I've got sisters that I know who are practicing, um, Qatar, I think doesn't. it's banned, it's illegal. You're not allowed really? to. Really? Mm. Yeah. So she, um, this particular sister, is a, is a birth mindset coach instead. She has to do that instead of her doularing because she just can't do it there. Um, but there's such a need for it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It's really interesting watching how it's growing and how it's, how it's changing and how you know, there's a need for, particularly for me, I, I had a doula at my last birth, um, third birth. And unfortunately i knew that i was going to have to give birth in a hospital which was fine but my my doula was not ready to serve me the way i needed to be served just because she wasn't culturally equipped you know for various reasons she, she was very new to the scene as well so there is this need to have your representation for who you are i'm very kind of keen on that's mostly what spurred me into think saying i've got to do the training i'd already supported people as a doula but you know, I needed to get training. I wanted to get into it. And I've literally just not, I've not stopped really, but I'm very interested also in the trauma, trauma-informed sort of side of things now, um, how we can really support those who've had traumatic experiences. And I guess maybe you, you might have some experience with that as well in your...
1: Yeah, and I think that goes, you know, both ways. That's, we need to be able to support people from a trauma-informed lens. But also we have to acknowledge that when we see a lot of repetitive, difficult things, which we sometimes see as birth doulas, especially if you work in an an environment where caregivers are not super supportive of people saying no (laughs) to things, then, you know, then we end up being the ones to suffer trauma or vicarious trauma, right? Right. Right. So I think that's, I mean, those are, we've covered on all of my pet topics, you know, in my career has been like doula business and making a living and vicarious trauma and being able to take care of ourselves because what happens is people just leave the profession and i'm always so sad when someone with a lot of experience leaves the profession because i just think it's just a gold mine of wisdom there and that person could serve so many people and serves other doulas as well and so you know i just it's yeah all of those topics but i You know, I think we underestimate the number of people that suffer from trauma, you know, which they put basically one in three people are victim of sexual assault you know, a similar percentage are victims of childhood abuse, we start to layer on just a cumulative lifetime of challenges. And of course, we get into this primal experience like childbirth and there's risk there, you know, for for re-traumatization, for triggering. And so we really need to come at that with a trauma-informed lens. And, you know, I know that's so complex to discuss, you know, trauma and trauma-informed care or trauma uh, sensitive care, but really there's some pretty basic things that we can do as doulas that we can learn. And, you know, the, the answer is to treat everyone with that lens, right. To assume that everyone has a history of trauma, not to need a client to identify their trauma, their past trauma, their past history of abuse. Um, but just to treat everyone like that, you know, why do we think it's okay for someone to be laboring and, you know, uh, for, for people to be doing exams without consent or to be touching without consent or or even just nudity. Uh, you know, people have varying levels of modesty. And if someone wants to get naked and scream their head off in their birth, I'm like, yeah, girl, power to you. But, you know, there are times where someone is going to feel observed and they're going to have challenge, you know, allowing their labor to progress because they're feeling observed and because they know that there's some, you know, some parts of their body are showing that they would rather not show. How simple is it for us to say, like wear what you want wear what you want to wear you know there's simple things we can do um, but we need to be taking care of our clients from that perspective and ourselves too
0: totally and there's that kind of um, unpredictability that there is subdued trauma there's trauma that people even they haven't even come trauma can pop up pretty much anytime in someone's life and the trigger that can make it pop up so somebody could just go you know never known they've been had any experience or even feel traumatized and then they come into birth and that is when it can, it can come up. That's when it can come out. And the idea of different, everyone's got different ideas of empowerment, you know, so perhaps somebody in a in hospital settings is totally comfortable to take off their clothes. And then somebody who's more modest might not be, but then the mod- the person who's more modest might be totally happy to take off their clothes at home with the same audience. It's environmental factors as well that come into play. Um, you know even what the condition you know people are actually phobia, phobic 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 there is a name for it but it's lost my mind right now um, the phobia that people have hospitals being in clinical surroundings uh, it's just so intricate so that is such a beautiful idea and actually I'm going to take that nugget um, because I've never actually appreciated that Stephanie that we can actually look at everybody with that lens and Um, I have a course that I'm going to be doing shortly at the end of this month. Yeah. On trauma. So I'm going to take that. Thank you so much. (laughs) Because um, that.
1: I hope that, yeah, I hope that you share what you learn from that. Because I think that's definitely a topic we could all just learn so much more about. Yeah. Yeah. And then taking care of ourselves. Right. And I, so I, I, I used to call this the three-year itch. I noticed that doulas around every three four years they of doing the work especially if they didn't have a good break in there that they would start to feel like uh you know everything felt seemed negative they were negative about the system um just felt like there was no hope for change it was just all it just became very clouded and the, this is you know symptoms of secondhand shock or vicarious trauma or you know and again the cumulative impact of years of seeing difficult things and people's wishes not being you know or having to fight for normal, basic, you know, human rights right? Right. Um, can be very challenging mm-hmm. as a birth worker. But, you know, the first thing is the awareness of it. So noticing like, oh, I'm very cynical lately. Oh, I'm, I'm having trouble with my memory. I haven't been feeling very good. I don't have the energy I used to have yeah. because awareness, once we sort of have that awareness of it, then we can actually do something about it. We can take some action and so making sure we're taking breaks. You know, midwives in Ontario, we have regulated midwifery here. They basically work 10 months of the year on call. You know, so they have at least two months a year that they're off call. And I think doulas should be scheduling themselves the same way work for five months, take a month off. Of, and, you know, it's not like you don't work for a whole month. Maybe you're catching up on prenatal visits, postpartum visits, but and marketing things, but not being on call allowing yourself to really just de- deconnect from your disconnect from your phone, right? From all of those demands of being like ready at any given moment. Um, and I think we should be thinking about that both financially and logistically. how can I make that happen so I have time off? Because we need breaks we need that self-care and self-care becomes such a buzz term that we almost have a resistance to it now. But we have to, and you know, it doesn't mean you go get a manicure or a massage. It's like, what is self-care to you? Maybe it's walking outside. Maybe it's just spending time with your children without being worried about checking your phone. Maybe it's, you know, having a laying in bed for a whole day, like whatever that is for each person, but having that space for that helps us to kind of recover. You know, in Ontario, they say the average midwife lasts five years in practice. And I just think that's it's horrible. They've spent at least four years in midwifery school and right. then most of them have an undergrad. So how many years of school to become a midwife to only last as long as your course took you to become one? No, 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 no. That's not cool, right? And birth doulas are the same. Doulas have even less incentives to stick with it because they t- typically make a little bit less than midwife, quite a bit less than midwives do. yeah. So, yeah.
0: A lot of um, midwives actually leave the profession here and become either independent midwives or they scrap that and they just become doulas. And I didn't say just in a kind of, you know, only doulas, but they they actually prefer that for the liberation, that kind of slight like free leeway, a little bit more leeway, a little bit more control over things. But I mean, if we talk about from a financial perspective, which I never really think about it because I really, oh, I sound so corny, but I really do do it from my heart. But I don't think being a doula um, unless you've got like literally back-to-back bookings, back-to-back clients, which which is really not, like you say, if you wanna go down the route of self-care, it's not ideal. Um, I don't really think that being a doula can be a main. This is just over here in the UK. Okay. I just um it's it i i couldn't i i i, I really feel it's more of a salary really awful like a hobby like a way of life for me it's, it's it goes with my whole functional move of being a mom woman uh, you know a person um i can't see it as a job you know but and that's yeah and maybe that's think. where
1: it's at there now you know toronto i mean when i started 20 years ago even 10 years ago it definitely wasn't right and now i have i have employees doulas on my agencies they're employed 40 hours a week right they tend to do a combination of birth work and postpartum work. so someone who's going to combine things you know we definitely have here people here in Toronto that are their that's their only income is doula work that they sustain themselves and their families Mm -hmm. um, that many that are you know main contributors to their household income so it's possible with a combination. I mean, there are people who do it just with birth doula work, you know, and then we think about things like New York City, LA, San Francisco, where, you know, some people are charging three, four $5,000 for a birth doula package. I mean, you know, again, cost of living is higher there, but still that's, that's not chum change, you know, that's, those are big dollars. Um, but yeah, you know, I think it's possible in an advanced Uh, area. You know, we're do like the doula profession is a little bit more advanced. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, I remember even just 10 years ago, every time I'd walk into the hospital, I was always like, like you said about the midwives being a little bit apprehensive or intimidated. Like who, who are you and what are you doing here? What is your role? You know? And I remember feeling that all the time, every time before I walked into a room, it was like, okay, deep breath. Here we go. Let me explain my role again. And then the last five years, seven years, I walk into a room Nurse and doctor turn around. Oh, good! The doula is finally here. Amazing. <laughs> you know, smiles and welcome, and it's like, oh, it's just such a nice place to be. You know. Yeah. So and if you, you'll
0: probably. You're probably the person, the pioneer who actually created that, Stephanie, in your area, who created that harmony between the two teams, as it were, and probably the doulas that are coming along to most of the births in the area, ones that you've trained.
1: That's true. <laughs> so, that is a know, good point. But I'm not going to take credit for that because a lot of really am- more amazing people came before me, but <laughs>
0: I'm glad to have contributed. Yeah. I'm really interested. I would actually, and I'm aware we're running out of time, but I would really love to have perhaps further down the line another podcast with you because i feel like we haven't even managed to talk about i feel like we've just sort of touched the tip but um it's been really fascinating and i'd love to know more about your offerings i'm going to be including all your information at the bottom of the podcast um and was i was wonderful still... to
1: chat with you yeah thank it's you so nice
0: me. yeah thank you for coming thank you so much for your time really lovely to meet you thank you so much we'll chat again soon before you do go we've got a minute yes. would you like to say anything before we go is there anything you want to
1: add? Uh, if you're a doula out there, please keep doing this important work. And if you're feeling like quitting, please just take a break, but come back at it. It is more important than you can possibly imagine. yeah
0: Thank you so much. I'm just Thanks. going to close us off. So, assalamualaikum Alaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh.